So today is Reformation Sunday. You've heard that already. And Reformation Sunday <clears throat> marks the day, <clears throat> this day, October 31st in 1517, when a German monk by the name of Martin Luther, same person who wrote the hymn that we sang earlier, nailed 95 theses or statements to the door of the church in the castle in Wittenberg, Germany. 95 statements of protest. And in these 95 theses, Martin Luther was protesting against errors and abuses that he saw at work in the church of his day. This, along with many other things, birthed the Protestant Reformation. Protestant meaning protesting. It's not really the best name to call ourselves, the Protestants. But there it is. <clears throat> chief among Luther's 95 theses, chief among them, was his revelation, new to him at the time at least, that we are not saved by our own works. We, are, we cannot earn our salvation. We are saved by the grace of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. The Greek word for grace is charis. In the biblical language, it can be translated as grace, goodwill, favor, gift, benefit, or thanks. It was actually, a form of that word was actually in the passage that you heard in the children's moment in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's translated as gifts. And while it might not seem so at first reading, grace is to be found a couple of times in our passage from Luke 17 this morning with the ten lepers that Jesus healed. It is found in the healing itself, of course, but even more so, it is found in the response to the healing. In the response to healing. Our, our passage is part of a larger section in the book of Luke, which began back in chapter 9, verse 51, when Jesus sets out to go to Jerusalem. Runs all the way through chapter 19, verse 44, when uh, he arrives there. <clears throat> and there we know Jesus will be betrayed and arrested and put to death and he will rise again three days later. So a lot is riding on this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. Luke 17, verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Why is this detail important? First, Galilee is where Jesus did most of his ministry. Galilee is where he called his first disciples. Galilee is where he changed water into wine. It's a very important place for him. It's predominantly a Jewish area, but it was also a part of the Roman Empire. <clears throat> Samaria was part of the northern kingdom of Israel once upon a time. Assyrians conquered that region, brought in their foreign gods, intermarried with the people, and in thus making them, the Samaritans, making them in the eyes of the Jewish people in Judea to the south, half-breeds. The Samaritans had their own version of the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. They had their own temple. And they believed their temple was the only true place to worship. Jewish people saw the Samaritans as heretics. As a rule, these two people groups simply did not get along with one another. There was a deep-seated distrust and racism between them. Jesus walks along the border between these two regions. That's just the way Jews of the day went when they were going from Galilee to Jerusalem. They walked the long way around in order to avoid meeting those people, making themselves unclean. And we want to say, wait, is Jesus, the Son of God, giving in to this temptation, this racism, this prejudice, and going the long way around? Is he avoiding the Samaritans? Well, it's not for lack of trying. 
Right after this journey began, back in chapter 9, right after we were told he's headed to Jerusalem, we read this in verses 52 to 55. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So from the outset of this journey, the division between the Jews and Samaritans has been key. But because the Samaritans don't want anything to do with Jesus, because he's on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus takes the long way around. To further make his point, in Luke chapter 10, just one chapter from this event, Jesus will tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this parable, much, of the, much to the shock of his listeners, Jesus makes the Samaritan into the hero. Hero. Now back to our passage, verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. So we have more signs of division in the passage. Division between those who are on the outside and those who are on the inside. Leprosy made these men unclean, according to Jewish law. They were ostracized from the community and by implication, distanced from God as well. They call out to Jesus and Jesus responds, these lepers receive the grace of God from Jesus. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now at this point, we don't know who these ten lepers are. Were they Jews or were they Samaritans? Remember, he's on the border. Could be either. Each of these two people groups has their own temples in different cities with different sets of priests. Which priests are they supposed to go to? The ones in Jerusalem or the ones in the temple in Shechem in and among the Samaritans? Jesus doesn't appear to care. He doesn't appear to care, and that in itself is a statement. He's done arguing over the things that divide Jews from Samaritans. He's got bigger fish to fry. The lepers head out to show themselves to the priests, and they don't even get that far. Before they even get to the priests, they are healed. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Luke drops the mic. One of them comes back to thank Jesus, and Luke says, and he was a Samaritan. He saved that little detail until now. He wants that detail to catch all of us by surprise. And it caught Jesus by surprise. Verse 17, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? The way Jesus says this, it seems that this group of lepers was probably made up of nine Jewish people and one Samaritan. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? In the confines of the story, I don't know if you noticed, but Luke has not indicated at all that anyone else is present other than Jesus and this leper. But Jesus turns to ask a question of someone. One of the reasons... Luke may have uh, told the story as if Jesus was on his own is because he wants the question that Jesus is asking to be aimed at all of us. 
He wants us to feel as if Jesus is asking us that question. Those of us who have heard and read this story for the past 2,000 years, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner, this outsider, this sinner? And while his first readers, Luke's first readers, and those traveling with Jesus may have been shocked that Jesus healed the Samaritan, <clears throat> the real shock, as far as Jesus was concerned, was that this foreigner is the only one who came back to praise God and to give thanks. This is a bit of a slap in the face of the other Jews who were likely standing around Jesus. Once again, the Samaritan's the hero, and he didn't have to make up a story to make it happen. It just happened. A real-life Samaritan. Gratitude matters. Gratitude matters. The ones who were supposed to get it, the Jews, didn't. The one nobody expected to get it, the Samaritan, did. The other nine, likely all Jewish people, were also healed, but they seem to have taken the grace of God for granted. Verse 19. Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. <clears throat> your faith has made you well. More literally, it says, Rise and go, your faith has saved you. And that word translated as saved can be translated several different ways, all of them good. What, what makes it interesting is the fact that all ten lepers were healed. But Jesus makes an additional statement about this Samaritan and his faith when he came back to thank him. The fact that he came back to thank Jesus suggests that Jesus may be talking about a little something more than his healing, his physical healing. The Samaritan has responded faithfully to the mercy he has received, and so he has gained perhaps some special insight into who Jesus is, some connection with Jesus that others don't have. Now, Jesus has not yet died and been resurrected, so we don't mean he's saved in that sense of the word, but he is saved in the sense that he, like the disciples, he knows something about Jesus that other people don't. If he was on the outside before, now, to the degree that it's possible, he is on the inside. The thing that demonstrates his faith, the thing that demonstrates his place as being next to Jesus is this. He did not take the grace of God for granted. He came back to praise God and to say thank you. The healing, it turns out, is a secondary miracle in this story. The healing is secondary. The primary miracle is the one, is that the one who was formerly outside has now been brought inside. To some extent, he was blind, but now he can see. Like the nine who did not return to give thanks, we who have come to faith in Jesus can forget what an amazing gift it is to come to know Jesus. At the very least, we can take it for granted. And by the grace of God, we can also be like the Samaritan. We can recognize the gift that we have been given in Jesus Christ, the grace we have received, and we can come back praising God loudly and fall at Jesus' feet and say thank you. When is the last time you or I were that grateful for what God has done for us? What would it look like if you or I 
truly recognize the gift that we have been given in Jesus and in our own way loudly praised God, fell at his feet, and gave him thanks. Back in the spring, a friend of Kim's and mine died. He went for a bike ride, stopped on a park bench where he always stopped before coming home, had a heart attack, and died on the spot. He was 72. His name was John. We had worked with John and his wife Jan when we lived in Amsterdam early in our marriage and worked with Youth with a Mission. In September, we participated in his memorial service via live stream. It was good to see his children grown and sharing their memories of their father and the kind of man he was. It was good to see some other people that we worked with on staff sharing their memories too that we hadn't seen in a while. And near the, the close of the service, the pastor began to introduce the closing song, but he told the story. He said, the song we're going to sing, uh, John had something he had begun to do during the singing of this song that he wants everybody to do. <clears throat> during a certain point in the song, when he got to a certain line, John would shout out as loud as possible, Jesus! This indicated to both Kim and to me that, and we had seen John once, since we lived here, actually, he'd come to visit one time. We had seen him, but it indicates to us that uh, as, as good of a man as he was back when we worked with him, he has continued to grow in his gratitude for what Jesus has done for him. He was, for John to do that and yell out in a service, not the John we knew. Quiet man. So when they got to, it was blessed be the name of the Lord. And when they got to that line in the chorus, blessed be the name of the Lord, he would yell, Jesus! So they had everybody there do it in the service as we watched. And this was no charismatic church they were part of. They were Presbyterians. <laughs> so the pastor invited everybody to sit. They, 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 they shouted out the name of Jesus. It felt silly for us to do it so loudly in our living room, but we did it a little. When is the last time we truly expressed our thanks to God for the gift, for the grace He has given us in the life, in the teaching, in the death, and the resurrection of Jesus? Transformed and ever-transforming people recognize the grace in which we stand. Transformed and ever-transforming people recognize the grace in which we stand. Transformed and ever-transforming people recognize that the grace of God can be underappreciated. And we choose to do something else instead. We choose to grow in our appreciation of the grace we have received and we give thanks. This series is about deeper water. It is about going deeper in our relationship with God. It is about having God go deeper into us and transform us, make us into more Christiform people. It is about pursuing our own transformation in partnership with the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Our transformation is not always about deeper theological truths or new revelations about God's ways or character. Our transformation is not always about deeper truths or new revelations about who God is. No, spiritual transformation 
is often about simple truths more deeply lived. Spiritual transformation is often, I might even say most of the time, about very simple truths more deeply lived into our lives and out of our lives. Gratitude is a very simple truth. You were taught it when you were a child. Say thank you. When we can begin to take that simple truth and live it at a, more, at a deeper level, we will move further in our transformation. Shared with you before that one of the things that Kim and I were privileged to be able to do on sabbatical was to engage in the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. And one of the foundational ideas of Ignatian spirituality is this, gratitude. It's foundational, gratitude. So much so that Ignatius considered ingratitude the worst of all sins and the source of all sins. He considered ingratitude as the worst of all sins and the source of all other sins. He said that ingratitude was to forget, to forget the grace, to forget the blessings, to forget the benefits that we'd received. And he said, quote, as such, it is the cause, beginning, and origin of all sins and misfortunes. Ingratitude is the cause, beginning, and origin of all sins and misfortunes. About a year after coming to faith on the banks of the river Codner, Ignatius received a vision of God and creation that greatly impacted him. While his experience is referred to as a vision, he didn't see anything. Not with his eyes. He simply came to know and understand something about the grace and love of God that shaped him profoundly from that point on. And many people believe it was this vision, this experience, that prompted him to create the spiritual exercises. And in that moment, he understood that the gifts of God come to us in two great actions. They come to us in creation, and they come to us in Jesus coming to us in the flesh, incarnation. The gifts of God come down to us in two great acts, creation and incarnation. All of it, he realized, comes to us, came to us from a loving God who only desires to give us good things. And this moved Ignatius to a profound sense of gratitude. Likewise, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, tells us that every good and perfect gift comes to us from God. Every good and perfect gift. It's not unlike what the Apostle Paul said in last week's passage from Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Every good and perfect gift comes down to us from God. And the only proper response is gratitude. Deep gratitude. And true gratitude is not something we merely hold in our hearts. It should compel us to share the gifts that we have been given in our financial giving and in our love and service toward God and others. Author Gerald Fagan sums this up nicely. He says, The experience of being gifted fosters a desire to gift others. We consume what we possess. We cherish and share what we hold as gift. Gratitude moves us beyond mere consumption and arrogant dominion to stewardship. 
the commitment to enhance and pass on the gifts received. How ought you and I steward well over the gifts we have been given, especially the gift of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ? First, let us notice these gifts. Let us notice the gifts. Let us ask God to give us the eyes and the hearts to see these things, these gifts that have been given to us. That might mean finding a place out in nature, in creation, and simply looking around and seeing the beauty of creation. I hope you saw that moon this morning. Now's a great time with the leaves falling from the trees. Simply notice, or taking time to reflect on the gifts that you have had in the day. A good conversation with someone. You finished something at work you needed to get done. Where do you see good things, good gifts coming to you? Notice them. Second, we need to remember. We need to choose to remember that all good gifts come to us from the hand of God. This is not mere luck. This is the grace of God. Notice and remember these things come from God. And then, of course, we must choose to be grateful. We must choose to be grateful, even amid very difficult circumstances. We do not have to thank God for pain and suffering. But we can look for how God is at work in it and through it. And when we can give thanks. Notice. Remember. Choose. Each night, Kim and I engage in a prayer exercise with the help of an app called Lexio 365. It's a recording of two people with very lovely accents (laughs) leading us in a prayer of examine. The Lexio 365 version reads this way, Reflecting on the day that is past, Lord, show me where you were at work in my life. In what ways did I experience your goodness, and when did I hear you speak? In this exercise, we notice God's gifts. We remember that they come from Him, and we choose to give thanks. This causes us to grow in gratitude. It moves us further in our transformation. I put a link to that app in your Bible app, Live Events. In an article entitled, Be Thankful, Science Says It's Good for Your Health, author Lauren Dunn shares research that shows that gratitude, quote, gratitude can have dramatic and lasting effects in a person's life. The article goes on to say that developing a practice of gratitude can lower blood pressure, improve immunity, and grant more efficient sleep. In addition, people who journal about the things they are grateful for have reduced dietary fat intake by as much as 25%. It's a new diet. And the stress hormone cortisol is 23% lower for them. Simply taking time each day to notice the gifts of the day and to practice gratitude can actually reduce the effects of aging on the brain. That's amazing. All of this tells us one important thing. The reality is that even the practice of gratitude is grace. Even the practice of gratitude is the grace of God to us. It helps us. So as we close this morning, I want to I lead you through a very brief Silent reflection in a time of gratitude. I encourage you to do it beyond today. As I said, I've linked some things in the Bible app to help you out there. So I invite invite you just to join me for a moment of silence, and then I'll lead us in the prayer exercise.
<clears throat> if you're going to close your eyes, take a moment, quiet your hearts. Pay attention to your breathing. Breathe slowly, carefully. Lord, in this time of silence, as we reflect on the last day or so, I ask that you would show us where we have been at work, where you have been at work in our lives, and what ways we have experienced your goodness, and when did we hear you speak to us, or since you leading us. I encourage you, as God shows you these relationships, these gifts, these events, that you would just name them in prayer to him, and just give thanks. Let's continue in silence. Good and gracious God, we thank you for these gifts of your grace. We thank you for all the ways, small and big, where you bless us, where you nourish us, where you care for us and for those we love. We thank you for this place, for this people, for the freedom we have to worship you this day. And most of all, we thank you for the gift of your amazing grace, Jesus the Christ, who took on flesh and blood as one of us, died for our sins and rose again. God, help us to steward well over this in all gifts for your glory, for the good of our neighbors, and for our own abundant life. In his name we pray. Amen.